Okay, so what is the Bible? Um, I love that video. I think it does a great job. Uh, but the Bible, it comes from uh, actually from Greek, uh, from a word, tabiblia, which means the books. And we know this. It's a collection of a bunch of different uh, letters and texts and a bunch of poetry and history and all sorts of things. Your blanks are it's in Hebrew, Aramaic, and then Koine Greek, which is just the Greek of that time that Jesus and his followers were around during. Um, we believe this. So there'll be a lot of things I say tonight that I'll say, uh, you know, very um, absolutely. And there may be people in here that have different opinions on that. Like I said, we will actually do a poll to see kind of where you're at on this. But uh, the Bible is the inspired word of God. And it also serves as a record of the relationship between God and humans over the years. As that video alluded to, pretty much Israel and the people of Israel. Obviously, that changes a little bit into the New Testament, but pretty much that. So from the Mideast. Um, there's obviously disagreement among religions, as that video showed, that different religions have different numbers of books. But for those of us in this room, most of us, I'm guessing, from kind of an evangelical background, just kind of a basic Christian, Protestant kind of background, there are 66 books. There's 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books. You probably knew that. Um, the biblical canon, it was established generally in the 5th 5th century, so a long time ago, uh, but then it was reaffirmed, as the video showed, in about the 1500s. Um, this is kind of interesting. This is not on the test, okay? But uh, the Bible was divided into chapters. Does anyone know, like, generally when that would have been? I would not know if I weren't reading it, but just out of curiosity, chapters. 13th century by Stephen Langton, and then it was divided into verses. Any guesses what century? Very close, 16th century, very good guess. French printer Robert Estienne. So obviously we, we make a big deal out of the verses, the chapters, and you know, you know those things about Harley. John 3.16, we know what that is. Uh, those were not added in until 13th and 16th century, so it's kind of interesting, I think. Um, so is the Bible influential or not? This is kind of obvious, but I like this quote. This is from Time Magazine in 2007. It says, The Bible has done more to shape literature, history, entertainment, and culture than any book ever written. Its influence on world history is unparalleled and shows no signs of abating. Um, first book made with printing press, Gutenberg, was the Bible. Um, does anyone know how many copies? This is obviously an estimate. Uh, but how many, how many copies they estimate the Bible has sold? These are kind of stupid questions. Sorry, it's five billion. Okay, um, that's an an estimate. We probably own how many copies of the Bible? Eight. Oh, I think more than that. Twelve. Thirteen. Like <laughs> the answer is fifteen. No. So most of us own more than one, right? But five billion, and it sells about a hundred million copies annually, which is amazing. Uh, so what are we going to cover tonight? Uh, it's obvious that we can't cover everything on a topic like what is the Bible, but I do want to try and get through most of it. And we're going from this book by this guy, Wayne Grudem, and so we're basically kind of copying what he goes through, which is he asks four basic questions. Um, is the Bible authoritative? Is it clear? Is it necessary? And is it sufficient? But what I want to do is do a poll first. Okay, so... Um, you know, again, this lesson is really kind of supposed to start our series. It's not exactly starting it, but we're close enough to the beginning to say it is. Um, and I think any responsible study on what Christians believe has to start with the Bible. I think it's, you know, it's a question of uh, is it necessary to have the Bible, to be a Christian, some of these sort of things. Is it sufficient? I mean, a lot of things that we know about Jesus obviously have come from the Bible. And so it's kind of easy to say, well, I don't necessarily need the Bible. Like, I don't need to read it every day or whatever. But obviously, if we didn't have that, 
we wouldn't be sitting here. I mean, I think that's pretty like obvious. Um, but it's maybe easy to sort of take it for granted, which is probably why the, the reason why we see you know, how often do you read the Bible. It's like, well, not that often. <laughs> and it's like, have I ever read the whole thing? Well, not the whole thing, um, which is kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy. And I'm like, like I've read it. I mean, I've read it probably like literally like the whole way, like once. I'm in the middle of trying to read it the whole way a second time. And I'm 35, you know, so like I'm killing it. I've read like the New Testament, you know, however many times and certain books a lot, but whole thing. I, I just finished Second Kings this morning, and it's a pretty miserable book. Um, it's a little hard to get through. Um, lots of people getting chopped up in Second Kings. So, but uh, but I will say like after going through like this Bible study that we did and, and kind of studying these books at like a thirty thousand foot view, like I really appreciated it a lot more. Like I kind of got the point of it. The point of that book, and this is a total aside, is is that people left of their own are really horrible. So, and that's like kind of what they repeat over and over and over. So people did what they thought was right according to their own mind or whatever. So, um, but anyway, so we should read the Bible. We should study the Bible, uh, and it's the most logical place to look at. Well, what does God want us to do? And so, if we're going to believe a certain set of things, it's a really good starting place. But it's not a good th- starting place if it doesn't have authority and if it's not clear enough and it's not sufficient and all these things we're looking at tonight. So again, we're going to look at is the Bible authoritative? Is it clear? Is it necessary? And is it sufficient? All right, so. I think it's clear from the poll that we don't all agree on the Bible exactly. We don't all hold the same opinions. Uh, the author of this book, and so I'll kind of lean on his thoughts for what it's worth, is, is that all the words in the Bible are God's words. Um, and I think some of us obviously don't entirely believe that, or maybe we don't know what to believe. Or maybe it's just really hard to be like a, I strongly agree with anything kind of person. And I can kind of be like that too. It's like, well, I don't know. I mean, I want to leave some options. You know, I'm sort of like that. So whoever my, my person that would never strongly agree on that one question, whoever you are, I feel you, okay, I feel you. Um, <laughs> um, let's say, so if, if, I guess I would say, if you believe, and this is a big point, is if you believe that every word of the Bible is God's words, though, and you don't do what the Bible says, then, then you're disobeying God. I think that's a big point to make in terms of authority. And so if, if God has chosen to communicate through this Bible that's been passed down that we can read today, and then we disobey those things, then we're disobeying God. Um, my analogy is, is always based around my kids, sorry. Um, and before I taught this the first time, the day before, I don't know if you remember this, we had guys picking up something and there was like this um, flat bed with a little ramp and Libby had gotten her bike out and was going down the little ramp or whatever. And well, who cares? It was a little weird because the guys, they were like, they were talking to my daughter. It was just like not, it was like, I need to get her away. So there's like some of that, but also it's like I could totally just see her falling over and like landing on her teeth or something. So it was like, I don't want you doing that. And so she looked at me and said, Libya said, do not go down that again. And she kind of looked at me and she was like, and she went down it again. Like absolutely disobeyed me, which honestly, she, she can be a difficult kid, but she doesn't usually do that. Like usually if I like look at them and say something, and George is the other day, I told him, I was like, don't do that. And he did it. And like, they know what's going to happen. And so they're just like kept testing the waters. I don't know why they bother because like you're in trouble now. Um, but I think in a, in a sort of way is, is if, if God has made these commands clear and he expects us to accept this as his word and we disobey it, it's really no different than, you know, Libby looking me in the eyes and just doing it anyway. Okay. And I'm sure it was really fun to go down that ramp with her bike, but uh, it was not what I wanted her to do. Um, so here's some examples, too, that the Bible is God's word. So we don't just like assume that it's God's word. It says that it is, okay? And so here, just, just to kind of remind you, you'll see the phrase in the Old Testament, this is a blank, thus says, says the Lord. I have to say, thus saith 
Thus says, says the Lord. That's a, that's a tongue twister. It says this on several occasions in different parts of the Bible. Exodus, Joshua, 1 Samuel, Isaiah, Deuteronomy, Jeremiah. Um, and what this phrase is supposed to evoke an image of is that of a king. And so it's like, this is like, you know, the, it's like the herald that's like saying, this is what the king says. It's effectively like that kind of an image. Um, and it indicates that what, is, what, what follows that phrase is supposed to be obey without question. Okay, so just like if a king had an edict that they were telling to their people, that's what this is. So, thus says the Lord, you know, and then here comes the phrase. And so you better listen, you better not question, you better do it. So it's sort of like with me, with my kids, it's like, now listen up, this is what's going to happen. If they don't do it, it's going to be a problem. Um, the other words found in the Old Testament, though not attributed as direct quotes from God, are also considered to be God's words. So we know from Paul in 2 Timothy 3.16, he says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. So the actual phrase is all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's also useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 2 Peter 3.16, uh, Paul, uh, sorry, Peter refers to all Paul's letters as one part of the Scriptures, so he uses that term. And so that means that uh, Peter, and then I think you can assume the early church, uh, they considered Paul's writings to be in the same category as the Old Testament writings. So I think that's another thing you sometimes hear is, well, maybe we believe the New Testament is inspired, but not the Old Testament, or maybe vice versa, or whatever, but uh, at least of the writers of the New Testament, they, they viewed them all similarly, or in the same light. Uh, Paul, in 1 Timothy 5.18, he says, For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. All right, this is kind of a little bit weird, but the first quote, the one about the ox, it comes from the Old Testament. So it's in Deuteronomy 25. And the second quote comes from the New Testament. It's found in Luke 10. So what he's doing here, Paul is without hesitation, he's combining the two and calling them Scripture. Okay. Um, let's see, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 37. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing you are a command of the Lord. And so these are words, again, in the New Testament that are supposed to be the very words of God. Okay. Obviously, there's a lot more examples of that, but it's just... If there's any doubt that that's at least said explicitly, it is. Okay, so uh, if the Bible is the Word of God, I think, so we would accept that it says it is. I don't think most people would struggle with that. Um, I think the more difficult, more interesting question is, well, okay, maybe it says it is, but is it? Okay, because it's safe to, to make the assumption that, well, I, sure, these guys said it was the Word of God, but a lot of people have said they speak on, for, on God's behalf and they don't, they're crazy or whatever, you know. So, um, well, how did these words get written down? I think that's a great question. Hebrews 1.1, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And so there are different ways that God has spoken to uh, the writers of the Bible. Uh, so the first way is that sometimes God spoke directly to the author who simply recorded what he heard. We see this in Revelation several times, okay, and I think there's other examples of this. Um, at other times, the author based much of his writings on interviews and research. So when I think of that, I think of like Luke, uh, who like sort of was like a historian in a way. Obviously, he was a doctor too, but like the way his stuff reads, it's, it's very much like that. He interviewed Peter for a lot of his book. Um, and then at other times, the Holy Spirit brought to mind the things that Jesus taught. We see that in John 14. Um, and then, of course, I think there's a certain element of this we don't exactly know. So how was Paul inspired to write something like Romans? I don't know. I mean, he's got parts of Romans where he'll say, you know, this is me and not the Lord, and it gets a little bit, like, kind of murky, and, well, does that mean it's not inspired by God, or it is? I don't know. That's, that's the part of tonight that I'm not going to get into every detail of.
because it's hard. Um, but I guess I would say this is regardless of the way the words came to the authors, the words that they put down were an extension of them, the personality, skills, background, and training, but the words that they wrote were exactly the words God wanted them to write. Um, so the words that they wrote were the words that God wanted them to write. And I think we have to believe that or it gets really difficult. Um, and I think for lack of a better explanation, that's kind of where I choose to land for that reason. Um, so there has to be a certain element of either you decide from a faith standpoint that you don't need the Bible to be exactly authoritative or exactly inerrant or, or whatever, but then that puts yourself in a little bit of a weird spot because you have to kind of pick and choose and, and how in the world can you decide, you know? Um, so there has to be a faith in the idea that if God was wanting to communicate to his people through a series of writings, that he would oversee this process. What I will say of these Old Testament books, some of which are very weird, is that you get to see God acting very intentionally and specifically. And so I think if that was the way that he acted in different times, in different periods of time, for the reason of bringing about Jesus, that was why he acted in that way, that I would think he would act similarly in bringing about the scriptures that we read. Um, and then, of course, maybe he didn't. You know, maybe we have some books that we just shouldn't have in there. Maybe some verses that were added in later. I mean, there's, if you study any verse in the Bible, you'll see that, well, this historian doesn't think this was actually in the original script. It's like, ooh, now what do I do, you know? Um, and then we'll get into a little bit later, is like, is that, is that such a bad thing? Because um, I think the vast percentage of the Bible is, is pretty solidly what it should be, and that it gets across the main things. So, all right. Um, well, what about this idea, and I hear this sometimes when we talk about the Bible, when we talk about questions of the authority of it and the relevance of it is, can the Holy Spirit reveal new truth to us today? So, new truth. So, again, these are pretty hard-line statements, and you may agree or disagree, but I would say 100% that the Holy Spirit does not change the words of Scripture, and the Holy Spirit would not reveal new things that contradict what the Bible says. Okay? And I think... Um, Sometimes the Holy Spirit is almost used as like a bit of a, a crutch or maybe you could say like a scapegoat. Like, well, I feel like the Spirit's leading me to think this or the Spirit has revealed this to our people now and I think we need to change. And I guess what I would say to that is, is it, is it possible that it's not the Spirit that's pushing you to want to change things that are in the Bible, but rather cultural pressures? And I think that's probably more what's happening today as it pertains to a couple key issues. Is that, well, it's the weight of culture that's, that's bearing down on you and not the weight of the Spirit, is what, is what I would assume. But anyway, um, I, I, just, I, I think the Holy Spirit does, however. It, it fills us in our ability to understand the Scripture better, um, but I don't think it would change Scripture in such a way as, as to change how it works. So uh, the term, biblical authority, that's your blank there. I'm just going to read this sort of like the, the definition. It refers to the extent to which commandments and doctrines within the Old and New Testament scriptures are authoritative over humans' belief and conduct, as well as the extent to which biblical propositions are accurate in matters of history and science. Well, that's a lot. Let me read it again. So the term biblical authority refers to the extent to which commandments and doctrines within the Old and New Testament scriptures are authoritative over humans' belief and conduct, as well as the extent to which biblical propositions are accurate in matters of history and science. So we're going to spend the most time on this segment. We're not that far from being done with it, but because it, it covers a lot, okay? Um, and I would say the Bible is accurate in terms of history. So they've done this where they've looked at, well, was this king around at this time? And was this city there? And was this city as it's described? Is that accurate geographically? Those things check out. Um, 
so I said history and science, though. And so is the science of the Bible always true? Um, you know, they talk about, like, creation and how there was light before there was a sun and those sorts of things. It's like, well, that doesn't really work. Um, I think it depends on how you understand Genesis 1. I think the way I understand it is it's literary. It's not meant to be exact. I think from a scientific standpoint, then, that um, the Bible's not trying to be a science textbook. We talked about that before. Uh, so you can't really judge it as such. But I don't think there's anything about the science of the Bible that uh, contradicts the truth of the, of the Scripture. Um, and in fact, you know, even something as, you know, the universe began to exist was something that wasn't believed until about 1920. That's been in the Bible for thousands of years. Um, so obviously this question, was, was the flood global? And it says that it was. Well, there's some difficult questions. And I'm sure that there are some other, like, little things that people pick out. Um, but I guess I would say ultimately is this is a book, talking about the Old Testament, written to people thousands of years ago in Mesopotamia. You know, this is like not trying to be a science textbook that could, you know, stand up to today's understanding of, you know, nanotechnology and things like that, you know. So, um, and in the same way that our science will look really silly in 150 years, it needed to be a book that would sustain for, you know, thousands of years and make sense to people at different times. So, um, the point of the Bible is not to tell us everything we need to know or ever could know about a certain subject. So I think that's important. I think if you read certainly Genesis 1 and 2 under like a scientific lens, you're, you're left wanting a lot more. You're left like, well, yeah, okay, but I want to know how did that you know, exactly happen? You know, what were the you know, quantum energy levels at that point in time? And you know, how quickly did this explode out? And yada, yada, yada. You know? so, but that's not what we're going to get. You know? And I think that's got to be okay. Um, it never makes these claims either is the thing. It's never you know, claiming to be this exhaustive scientific narrative. Um, and again, it would have been very weird 3,000 years ago to have all these like, scientific details. Like, well, I don't know what this means. What is a p-value? You know? um, <laughs> but I would say this. It's the belief of the author, and whether this is your belief or not, it's the belief of the author that the Bible does not, in its original form, affirm anything contrary to fact. Okay? So that it, that it is true uh, purely. Now, he says in its original form. So has the Bible sort of changed some with, with time? Has it been copied? Probably. Okay, definitely. Um, and so then that becomes a difficult thing. Well, how do we get to the original form? It's tough. And people have spent hundreds of years trying to get to the best version of the scriptures based on lots and lots and lots of different copies. I'd say you put this up against something like the Odyssey, but even certain like, you know, classic novels that have been copied, you know, from antiquity. And the Bible uh, stands up really well, actually, in terms of accuracy between different copies. Um, so in terms of authority, if the Bible affirms that it is the very words of God, and I would say that it does, we should seek to understand, trust, and obey the words of Scripture. And if it is the word of God, and we think it is, that if we do that, if we seek to understand, trust, and obey the words of Scripture, what we're doing is we're seeking to understand, trust, and obey God himself. Okay. All right, a lot in that one. Let's move on to the clarity of the Bible. This is one that... Do you think the Bible is clear? And it was like all over the board. Nobody strongly disagreed, so thank you for not being so harsh. But I think it's easy to say like the Bible, no, it's not clear, like in all ways. So for those that said strongly agree, I mean, I guess you understand every section of the Bible, like Revelation's clear. Some weird stuff in Daniel. Is that clear? Um, it, I guess you, you answer that question one of two ways. Is it, is it perfectly clear? Well, of course not. I mean, there's like weird poetic language that's odd. Uh, does it get across, though, the main things clearly? And I think the answer to that is yes. So it's a vague question, and so that's going to get different answers. But um, some passages in the Bible are easier to understand than others. That's pretty obvious, right? The Ten Commandments, pretty clear. 
and there's some weird stuff that's like still people argue over. Um, so the discussion question for you is, what are some reasons you might not understand a section of scripture? So if you come upon something you don't understand it, what are, what are maybe some possible reasons why that's the case? Yeah, sure. I think it's one of the most difficult things, especially about like New Testament, um, is is this just a statement for culture? Is this a command to culture? Is this a command to everyone? It's hard, and to, and to know the difference is tough. But yeah, I think that's probably like the, the time and place in which it was written, and the audience for which it was written. That's something we often miss when we read, and I don't know how you get around that. Knowing what's supposed to be taken literally and what's supposed to be taken kind of figuratively, especially taking into account the fact that it could be a cultural thing that was supposed to be taken, you know, it's just hard to kind of mm-hmm. work with all the parables and things too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I struggle with the letters and knowing whether this was just for the Corinthian church. Is he just speaking into this very particular thing that they would understand? Or is this, did he, did he even expect that these letters would be written, would, sorry, would be read by other churches? Because it's possible if someone who's inspired, that they're inspired to write this one thing, but not necessarily to understand, like, look, they're going to be reading that like 2,000 years from now, Paul. Like, you better do a better job with this. I mean, you need to make this clear. He's like, no, nah, this is good. Um, yeah. <laughs> Paul, you should Romans 7 is kind of weird, Paul. Um, uh, anything else, I guess, when you're reading, where you're just sort of like, ugh, I just, I'm just sort of lost. You kind of hinted at it, but like we're also they were influenced by their culture, but we're also influenced by our culture. Mm. So you can't really approach scripture without like your own background and your own like things that mold you. Sure. So yeah, yeah. So we all have our biases that kind of bleed into how we think about things, and I think certainly cultural, like cultural general understanding of certain virtues or certain statements of the Bible that have now become kind of commonplace. They do paint how we read these things and how we think about these things. Even just visually, what we think of these people as from like movies, we've seen like a Charlton Heston, I think of him as Moses, and that kind of probably changes the way I think of uh, him leading the Israelites out with a rifle, you know, if you get any of those references before he passed. Do you know what I'm talking about? Ten Commandments, God. Okay. Big into guns. All right. Uh, so let's move on. Uh, so there are some mysteries in Scripture, too. I think like, we need to understand that. We need to know that, like, look, these are mysteries that people have been wrestling with for hundreds and thousands of years, and that's okay. It shouldn't overwhelm us. Uh, Psalm 19, 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Psalm 119, 130 says, The unfolding of God's words gives light and gives understanding to the simple. Um, some of the things of God are spiritually discerned. And so I think that's one thing you got to kind of keep in mind when people like read the Bible and it's confusing or they pick out little things with it. Sometimes it's because um, you know, spiritually they're not in a place to accept it. And so it's sort of like, you know, in, in the scientific world when you have someone that very, very strongly believes in one thing. So I was at a meeting this weekend and it was uh, on airway. For whatever reason in the orthodontic world, airway is like super controversial. Not that there is an airway. We, we believe that that exists. But that we have any like major impact on it, you know, by expansion or whatever. If you extract teeth, are you collapsing the airway or you not? I did my thesis on the airway and measured a bunch of airways. And so, to me, I'm sort of like agnostic of the whole airway thing. It's like I, I think 
probably help some, probably don't. We probably do a lot less than we think, and you're all about airway. So, um, but what I found is, is that sometimes people have already decided what they believe about airway before they even talk about it or study it or whatever. And so any paper about airway, well, this is bad science, and this, this, the way they did the study is like, sample size of 14, well, what does that say, you know? And so it's like, but they're going to say that if they had a sample size of 1,000, they say, well, it's a small sample size. So, you know, I don't like the way they selected them. And, you know, so you can't win. So some people go into the Bible with a spiritual mindset of, well, this is all a bunch of junk, and this is all, you know, false, and it's a fairy tale. Well, they're never going to really understand or find clarity in the Bible at that point. Okay. Um, and I think it's also probably true that if you go in and you just, you're not discerning at all, and you don't question or poke at things, well, then that's not any good either. Okay. So I think it's okay to take the Bible and kind of shake it around a little bit, try and figure it out. And people have been doing that for a long time. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Um, so you, this is different than science, is that a proper understanding of Scripture is often more the result of an individual spiritual condition than his or her intellectual ability. Okay? So just because you're the smartest dude on the, on the block doesn't mean that you'll necessarily understand the Bible and its intended message in the same way. I'd probably say, like, from a biblical standpoint, and this maybe this is purely subjective in my opinion, it seems like the higher people go up in, like, biblical training, like, the weirder their beliefs are. And, and it's almost the same thing I see, like, in academia is, is the further you go, you have this need to progress, you have this need to question. You kind of go so far down that road, it's you're sort of left, like, in the abstract too much. So... I don't know. Um, I, I feel like I see that at least in orthodontics and other things, but maybe it's true of uh, theology as well. And I think some statements in the Bible, they're meant to be simple, and I think we make them a little bit too complex, and maybe they're not clear because we're trying to like squeeze too much juice out of them. You know? And then other reasons that we talked about. Okay, so let's see. Uh, Often the truth of Scripture will appear to be folly to those who have rejected the claims of Jesus, and that's what that verse says. Um, and when individuals disagree on the proper interpretation of, the, of a passage of Scripture, the problem does not live with the Scriptures, for God guided its composition so that it could be understood. Rather, the problem lies with us. Now, of course, if you take the opposite approach and you feel like the Bible is flawed and it's not accurate, well, then the problem lies with the Bible. Um, but uh, I'd side on this statement that the problem lies with us if there's issues there. Um, and then sometimes as a resort of our, result of our shortcomings, we fail to properly understand what the Bible is specifically teaching. Even so, we should prayerfully read the Bible, asking the Lord to reveal the truth of his words to us. Okay, and we're on to the necessity. I'm just, man, I'm scaring people off. Sorry. Um, all right, so we just discussed that, uh, that all things uh, necessary to become a Christian, live as a Christian, and grow as a Christian are clearly presented in the Bible. Um, it is also true that without the Bible, we cannot know these things. I think it's a difficult one. Like, is the Bible necessary to become a Christian, live as a Christian, grow as a Christian? I think my first thought is, well, no, it's not necessary. But I guess it's a semantics argument because without it, we really wouldn't know the things that allow us to, to do those things. Um, having the Bible already and having that knowledge, we could convey that to someone independent of the Bible and those things could be true, okay? Um, but uh, you really need the Bible to know these things. So in that sense, the Bible is necessary. Um, and the necessity of Scripture means that it is necessary to read the Bible or have someone tell us what is in the Bible if we're going to, to know God personally, have our sins forgiven, and know with certainty what God wants us to do. So 
Do you believe that it's necessary either to have the Bible or have someone tell you what's in the Bible to be able to know God personally, have your sins forgiven, and know with certainty what God wants you to do? Do you think that that's true? And I don't remember what the results were on that question, but yeah. I think you have to be aware of the message of the Bible to understand God's nature. Um, to be baptized, you probably need, you would have to have that knowledge, otherwise you wouldn't know what you're doing. Someone just said I need to dunk in this water for you to become a Christian, but you don't know why you're being dunked in the water. So you have to be aware of why you're doing what you're doing. And to do that, you have to be aware of the Bible. Does anyone believe you don't need? Sorry, she doesn't. Serious? <laughs> Did you hear that? I don't have like we know Siri. You're you're made by. Uh, <laughs> you're made, made by. Thank you. That's a nice right. The West Coast elite in Silicon Valley. That I don't have beliefs. It's easier that way that she doesn't have beliefs. You know. So. <laughs> I think. I mean, there's definitely been stories of people that mm-hmm. say like they have you know divine revelation and a dream or sure. You know, whatever and uh, I've spent four months in Kenya and I feel like their interpretation of spiritual realm is very different than our inter- our western interpretation we love books we love concrete mm-hmm. evidence and they absolutely love the mm-hmm. you know the realms and all of the questions and the mystery and so um, for me you know I want to say yeah it's necessary but I think that I've probably interacted with a lot of people that have uh, grown a lot more spiritually through prayer and experiences and faith than they ever have through the Bible, and those people are probably like stronger in faith than I am. So mm. um, I don't know if it's necessary. I think it'd be almost limiting to mm. God to say that it's necessary, and I think that it's very convenient, and it, I love it. I love having it mm. because it means that I can really easily argue and like prove my own <laughs> points. Um, but that's why she loves it. <laughs> yeah. uh, me like, too. Okay. But at the same time, like if someone asks me, you know, like why do you believe in God? I don't tend to go to the Bible. I tend to go to things that are happening and have changed in my life and changed in the lives of the people around me and are very real and not necessarily like, well, I could believe just because I read this book. It's not really. Sure. I like I like to think that like we'll we'll be held accountable for like what we had and what we knew like you know or so so that those who don't maybe have as much or don't have as much knowledge of the bible or whatever that they're not going to be held accountable to all the things that we know on the flip side of that like it makes me feel like man i'm i'm going to be held accountable for like all of this scripture you know and i feel like there has to be a reasons a reason why and we've been commanded to go into all the world and preach the good news like I, I feel like like the world needs to know you know the message and the gospel and scripture and God's teaching or whatever um, so I don't know I th- that's not a good answer it's just kind of here and there like I feel like it's possible to know God without it but I feel like God wants us to have it and to share it for a reason surely yeah yeah, I think if you find like a remote, you know, they five years ago found like another remote group of people in like the Amazon, you know, Brazil, and they've never been like found or something, which is crazy that there are like still people out there. Um, can't see them on Google Maps or something, Google Earth or whatever. Um, but they would have no like 
knowledge of Jesus or of, you know, things are necessary to become a Christian, we would say. Um, but we'll talk about what they would have, and I think there's some sort of revelation that they could have. Um, and so I don't know. I think, you know, if, if you really press on that, it, it's hard to accept, based on the statements of Jesus, that someone, even who would accept that, well, there has to be a bigger power, would be able to be considered a Christian, you know? So I don't know. It's, it's tricky. Um, I think it's, again, why, like, the easiest thing to say at the end of all these conversations is, well, we need to spread the gospel more. <laughs> like, we need to get Bibles out there. Like, we need to be dropping them by helicopter and things. Um, well, so that's a tough question to answer. That's why I ask it. It's not like I have an exact answer for you. Um, I, think, I think we do need the Bible, or at least knowledge of what the Bible says, to become Christians. Um, and certainly, if, if you don't agree with that, you'd say, well, it's easier. I mean, you said it's limiting to not have it. But obviously, we'd all agree with that. Um, we do need the Bible for sanctification. That's your next blank. So sanctification being the process by which you are more and more like Jesus each day. Um, you're more pure. You're more holy. Hopefully that's the trajectory that we're all on. Um, and I think to neglect regular reading of the Bible is detrimental to the health of our souls. If you are a ENT, a radiologist, and you cease the reading of journals and of things about those topics of study, you're not going to get better in those fields. Or maybe you're getting better because you're practicing it, but you're not getting as better as you could. You know. So the more time I spend in those fields, the better I feel like I understand it and all starts to click more and more each day. And obviously the same is true of reading your Bible and I think praying as well. But um, the Bible is really our only source for clear and, and definite statements about God's will. I think there are things through experience uh, or through prayer or whatever you want to call that where we can start to get a sense of God's will for sure. Big other conversation. But I think the Bible is, is really the only source for like clear and definite statements. Um, and as I said, the Bible won't tell us everything there is to know about God or His will, but many things are revealed to us through Scripture. I think it gives us the ability to infer a lot of other things as well. Okay, so um, on the other hand, the Bible, it's necessary for many things, but it's not needed for knowing some things. We can know about God, His character, and His moral laws without the Bible. Okay, So Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. One of my favorite verses, just about creation and things. Uh, and in Romans 1.19, What may be known about God is plain, uh, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So kind of a classic verse that argues for like intelligent design or something. It's like, well, it's kind of clear. I mean, it's what you talked about last week. Um, so we can learn about God without any of this, any of this like written knowledge or whatever. Okay, and this is the difference kind of between general revelation and special revelation. So general revelation, it's your first blank. That's what we just talked about from Romans one nineteen. It's given to all people in general. It's distinct from the Bible, and revelation um, about God's existence, His character, and moral law is given to all people. It is seen through nature, through God's historical works and an inner sense that God has placed in everyone. So an inner sense that God has placed in everyone. That's, uh, that's tricky. If you're a real like, logic kind of guy, you don't like statements like that. Not looking at you, Ryan, but I just, maybe I was. Um, you know, you start talking about, like, well, I have this warm feeling, or I have this, this sort of this thing in my belly that tells me this or that, or like I have an inkling, or what, I mean, I don't know. That can mean a lot of things. But I think, uh, you know, the fact that we have a conscience, or we have a certain frequency that seems to line up at different times when things are right. I think that's innate to all of us. I think there's such a thing as objective morality. 
A lot of people don't, but I do. I think those, those things all kind of collectively point towards something. And then certainly in the complexity of nature and the complexity of just biology, I, I think it, it points to a lot of these things. So those are just general revelations, which I think are valuable. I think that gets the ball rolling. And that was Michael's lesson last week. Now, special revelation is God's revelation to specific people. Probably none of us have received special revelation, or maybe we have. Maybe your mom is a prophet. We talked about that earlier, right? Um, so uh, the entire Bible is special revelation, and so are the direct messages from God to the prophets and others as recorded in the biblical stories. Okay, so you get the difference between those. Okay, coming around the bend, we're almost done. The sufficiency of Scripture. Our final question, is the Bible enough? And so are there things that are not in the Bible that we need to know or that God needs to communicate to us? I don't know. Um, so I would say that today, in its current form, the Bible contains all the words of God that a person needs to become a Christian, live as a Christian, and grow as a Christian. So it, it uh, contains all the words that um, a person needs to become a Christian, live as a Christian, and grow as a Christian. So in that sense, it's sufficient. Okay, That's kind of what the question is asking. We said this earlier, but the Bible is not going to directly answer every question that we can think up. And I guess there's a sort of rhetorical why. I don't know, I guess, why do you think it doesn't? What's your initial thought as to why it doesn't answer every question that we might have? No, this was, I, I thought it was a rhetorical why, but then I was like, oh, that should be a real why. <laughs> why do you think it, not, it doesn't answer every question that we might have, Anna? Ask all the questions? Nope. That's easy. <laughs> I'm just being so. No, could a collective like group of people ask all the questions ever? It's a good question. I'm sure it's been asked before. Well, Caitlin says I can't. Yeah. You said you could never run out of questions. I think that's true. I guess. And then I think if you think about the Trinitarian nature of God, then you. This is way before we're going to get to that, but like Holy Spirit. Next week. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not I'm saying we're getting to that question next week. I want to hear what you had to say. Oh, just that, that I think if we think about the sufficient nature of the Bible, but the abundant nature of life, like if those two hmm. things flow into each other, then you can make that jump to something like the Holy Spirit, perhaps, if you're looking to make that transition. Hmm. It kind of fills the gaps. Mm-hmm. Right. So when we talk about doctrine, we talked about three other things outside of the Word of God that help us to answer questions, and it was experiences, tradition, and then ration or logic. So those, th- those three things kind of fill in the gaps, along with 
the spirit, um, which is sort of experience, I guess. But I think there's also times whenever there's a different answer to the same question. Mm. So, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, if for mm. your kids, like, for example, like George asks and you, Olivia asks you and Charlie asks you the same question, you may get three different answers. Sure, it? yeah. George always yeah. gets what he wants, yeah. No, that's that's so true. Yeah, that's smart. Obviously, over different periods of time and different cultures, you know, and with different needs for different people. Yeah, sure, that's great. Different levels of faith, depending on where you are. Sure. Yeah. New Christian versus like a forty-year-old versus an eight-year-old. Yeah. Hmm. And that would go back to the letters, you know, like did he write the letters in a way that should have been published? Yeah, and we'll we'll never know. I mean, Revelation is a great example. Like, what is Revelation communicating? And if it's just communicating to Jews of that era about a Roman Empire that fell, you know, a thousand years plus ago, then is, do we need to read it, you know? But it obviously has, I think, statements that are of a universal nature, even though there's specifics in there. And the same is probably true of the letters. Like, there's some universal truths. And then it's also, you can apply things from the tradition that was, you know, in that first century era. So, yeah. Uh, I like this verse, uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. So it sets up this idea that there are secret things, and I like how it says they belong to God. <laughs> but the revealed things, well, they belong to us forever, which is kind of a beautiful statement. Um, and why do they belong to us? Well, so that we'll follow them, and we'll follow his law. So I take that to sort of mean, okay, if there are things that aren't revealed, when we don't need that to be obedient. So that's sort of like what I think of, again, it's all kids analogy, sorry. But, you know, kids start asking like lots and lots and lots of questions to the point where it's like, if I thought you needed to know that, I would tell you, okay? And so there's some element of me that's like, well, God probably feels the same way. It's like, you're on your 20,000th question about the Trinity and like, I need you to just trust me. Like, I've got this, you know? And so you do have to reach a point where it's like, you know what? I've got doubts, but I'm going to have to, I'm just going to have to push through that. I'm going to have to leave this unchecked and unfixed. And, and that's true of a lot of things. There's, there's in orthodox. I'm finishing a case, trying to check on this and do this and you know, tweak that. And it's just like, I kind of, I got to give it up. I got to be done. You know, I, I got to move on. Um, so I think there's some element of that. Second uh, Timothy 3.16. I love this verse. All scripture is God breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Um, so in that sense, scripture is sufficient to accomplish those things. Um, and then last little thing here. Uh, there are issues and situations for which God has not provided the pre- precise direction or rules that we sometimes desire. But because Scripture is sufficient, we do not have the right to add to His commands or teachings. For, for things that are not explicitly commanded, we should be able to infer what God's will is. But sometimes, let's get real, there are times where it's like, oh, I don't know how to infer it. Because this guy has inferred it differently and she has a different thought. And this guy doesn't know. Um, so there are those times where that's like that. And I think something like Romans 14 is a really good sort of basis by which we make those decisions. And if you're not familiar with Romans 14, it's a story about the weak and the strong. And you have the weaker brother that won't eat the meat that was offered to idols, and the stronger brother can. But when they come together for dinner, what's, what's the conclusion? What should they do? They don't eat the meat. And the reason they don't eat the meat is because for the weaker brother, it would be a problem. For the stronger brother, well, they can go either way. So the stronger brother has liberty. Um, and so I think that's generally how we should approach these things. And of course, there's times where that doesn't really work. Um, so I think that usually in those cases, what Paul pushes for is unity where possible. 
Um, and that becomes this conversation of doctrine, which is why we start with that. Is, is it what's primary, what's secondary, what's tertiary doctrine is a big deal. And so if this is like we're talking about, well, did, was Jesus real? Did he actually come to earth? Did he actually like die and get raised again? That's not like small, quibbly kind of things. Uh, and I read a, a blog post from someone that we went to college with. It was talking about how he's a Christian, but he doesn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. It's like, I don't think you're a Christian. Like, I don't think that's, like, that's up for debate. He even quotes where Paul says, it's all, you know, it's a, I'm to be most pitied if I don't believe, or if the resurrection didn't happen. Okay, you quoted that, but you still don't, you, so you're not a Christian. I mean, you know, so there's some things that are very clear. Okay, but we quibble over a lot of really stupid stuff. Um, so, uh, when we shouldn't create primary doctrine around issues that God isn't clear on. We should be content with what God has told us in Scripture. He's revealed exactly what he wants us to know and what is right for us to know. Um, and I think that many differences that divided churches and denominations are issues that the Bible places little emphasis on. And so when we look around our city and you're Googling, where should I go to church on a Sunday? There's churches that are like right across the street from each other that, what are they different in? Like, those little tiny little things. And so I don't think we're going to be able to get all those churches back together. And maybe it's fine that they're all different. I don't know. But um, I think that as Christianity becomes less and less the cultural norm, I think it's going to be important for us to understand what it is that's most important about what we believe and be unified on those things and seek to teach those things that are most important and not let our legacy be arguing over these little tiny things. Um, and I think one thing that's actually, it's like as we're arguing over these little tiny things, we've left our back gate open. And I think where we're being attacked now is on these major things. Like, the Bible's no longer relevant. Like, that's a... <laughs> No one's believed that in Christianity for 2,000 years or that it's not, you know, sufficient or whatever, you know, that there's extra biblical revelation now. I mean, those are like crazy ideas. So we've got, we've got to guard against that, I think. And we need to understand, all of us, what we believe about the Bible as it pertains to these really like presuppositional tent post concepts. Okay. Um, and then as Anna kind of said earlier is, is that we have to have this sort of humble hesita hesita hesitancy uh, to make a bigger deal out of small things. Um, and so if, if a Bible doesn't, does, doesn't talk about something that much, we probably shouldn't either. Um, so I know that's a lot to get through. We'll do a little bit of just quick discussion, and then we'll call it a night.